Episode 51 with creative director and designer Jerome Lamar. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's conversation is with creative director, designer, and stylist, Jerome Lamar. Jerome is a trendsetter whose perspective on art, culture, concepts, and colors have helped define the image of some of our most influential brands and celebrities. Beyonce? Anyone? By exploring the power of imagination, controlling his own narrative, and pride in his community, Jerome has never been afraid to color outside the lines, illustrating his own reality. Born and raised in the Bronx, New York, Jerome has always been ahead of his time, hailing from a family of those gifted with the power of visualization. He sees his ability to co-create his reality as his own type of inheritance. Starting as an intern at Baby Fat at the ripe old age of 15, Jerome leaned into the power of his own imagination. After helping model and entrepreneur Kamora Lee Simmons make Baby Fat a household name, he embarked on his next construction project, building himself. From opening a luxury pop-up boutique in the South Bronx to becoming the youngest trustee on the board of the Bronx Museum of Art, a through-line woven into Jerome's work has always been his pride in and love for the borough he calls home, especially its colorful denizens. Today, Jerome's work is dedicated to democratizing fashion by making it more accessible in price and point of access. His most recent collection, 531 by Jerome Lamar, can be found at Macy's brand stores all around the country. Today's conversation reminds us of what it means to design a life on your own terms. We explore the power of manifestation, building your own brand, staying true to yourself, and the value of accessibility. Be sure to share some of your thoughts on today's episode with us over on Twitter and Instagram at Black Imagination. And if you're interested in watching this episode, go visit and subscribe to our new YouTube channel, The Institute of Black Imagination. This and more content is also over on IBI Digital at blackimagination.com. And without further ado, the magical Jerome Lamar. One, two, and three. Can you all hear me? We can hear you. And just like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Jerome Lamar, welcome to Thank the you. Institute of Black Imagination. I am so excited to hop into this conversation. We've known each other for a while. Um, yes. And I'm mostly interested in finding out what I do not know. Whoa, okay, let's do it. And here we go. Um, so to begin, who would you like to dedicate today's conversation to? Wow, I think I would ded- dedicate this to my, my niece, Journey, who is five years old, super brilliant, so talented as an artist. 
funny and my everything. So this is to my niece, Journey Lee. Journey Lee? Mm-hmm. Journey right. and Lee, L-I. You know, we had to, a little something. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, Journey, this one is for you. Um, so... One one interesting question. If there was one song you would use to describe your journey, what would it be? Can I say two songs? We, okay, one we'll do song, the remix. Thank you. Okay, so the main song of my life is The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. That is my song. Uh, my mom said it. Everyone knows it. That is my thing. The other song would have to be My Life by Mary J. Blige. Okay. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> um, as a kid, I used to play it, and I didn't understand why I was so connected to it. But she says something that stays with me forever. Life can be only what you make it. And I say that to myself Every single day. Like, I knew as a kid, like, that the song was saying something, even though it was kind of dark and it was heavy. But she was trying to express, one, mental health that most people forget. Like, she was going through something, right? But she was also expressing the power of your mind in ways that people just didn't tap into at that time. Mm -hmm. You know? And um, that's just that first life can be only what... You make it, right? That song, that that line is everything. And then you just follow it up with, you know, The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. You got my whole lifestyle in, you know, two tracks, you know? So <laughs> those, those two songs kind of um, make me who I am today. And, you know, when we were speaking earlier, you were talking a bit about kind of where you are right now. And yeah. how you see yourself. Um, how do you see yourself on today that maybe you didn't see last week or last wow. year? Wow. Um, I didn't know he was going to ask these powerful questions. I see myself today as someone who can, uh, who is full of potential and trying to figure out the modern way to express themselves in ways that other people can comprehend and digest. My gift and curse is that I've always been a futurist, forward, ahead of everyone else, always. It's just kind of what I was born to do. Um, today, I'm learning that slowing down a bit is okay. It's okay to be part of current pop culture. It is okay to be in the conversation and not trying to lead it all the time. It is okay to kind of um, allow myself to be present rather than so far in the future. And that is where I am today. You know, it's, it's, it's tough because I am a happy person. It's deep because I am also very pensive and I also am a recluse at times. I'm an enigma for, for many people. They just see me coming and going and smelling good and looking pretty, but they have no idea how complex my brain is. You know, um, I want more 
for the human race. And there's only one way to get it is by working to it. And I try my best every day to put forth ideas that can really shift the way that we see ourselves as a race, human race, black race, whatever, right, on this planet so we can live a better way. It's so utopian, but in a way, this is like the way I was raised, and I'm very grateful for that too. So um, that's who I am. That's who I am today, you know? Yeah, let's let's double tap on how you were raised. You mm-hmm. hail from the Boogie Down, yes. Bronx. The Boogie Down. And what were some of the most important lessons you learned from your mother? Wow, from mommy. So my mom is a glamazon. She is also a Capricorn, so she's a worker. She used to be a dancer. She wanted to be a dancer. Um, sadly, she got pregnant with my older brother. She was going for Ellie. Um, and then she got pregnant, so she retracted from that whole world. Um, what I learned from my mom is just to kind of just be kind to everyone. And, and I was never told no. And I think that's because she was probably told no growing up. But I was never told that I could not do something. And I learned that that's, that freedom is what liberates everyone. My mom definitely is um, really special because, you know, now I'm thinking about my mom. My mom is really, like, really cool. I don't really think about her as much uh, when it comes to certain things. I don't know why, but my mom is really, really important to me because she really installed the fact that I can do absolutely anything. There was... (laughs) And that's kind of how I moved. This energy of, like, saying, oh, if you want to do that... You study it, you become it, you work hard at it, and you be, you you kick butt with it. And um, that's what I got from my mom. From my dad, my dad is a Christian Harlem man. <laughs> he is retired, first sergeant, or maybe sergeant major, I forget which one. He's high ranking in the military. He's, re- he's retired. He's now a doctor. Um, he was just here for a week, which is very interesting. But... Um, what I get from my dad and what I've noticed so much more by being around him um, is I got my sense of work ethics as well from him. He's a very hardworking guy. He's also very kind and very funny and very simple. And so I think the glamour from my mom and the structure from my dad is what makes me who I am today. Like, and that allowed me to kind of move the way I did so early on in the hood of the Bronx. People didn't understand then. They knew. Actually, I was always popular. I was always loved. I was always liked. I was always the kid, the golden child is what I was called growing up. But to have my parents give me the opportunity to enter certain rooms um, on their accord, just basically because they knew I could stand my own, uh, my own ground, is very special because that's not what everyone gets growing up in the boogie down. You know, like you get poverty, you get... Welfare, you get all the negative things that you hear from it, but there is another side of the boogie of BX that is that is structured and that has been around since the 60s and that is forward moving. And I'm in between both of those. You know, as you speak, I'm sure that there are a series of images that are flashing across your mind. 
as you recall growing up, you know, in the boogie down Bronx, mother, father, whoever was present, if they both were there mm-hmm. or not. Um, and then there is contemporary Jerome who people encounter, you know, online and on Instagram as the, the style monk, right? Yes. Um, you mentioned your father's visit was interesting. We don't have to double tap on that, but yes. um, but we can we can take from that what we will. But thinking about that, right, your visions of the world as a young individual growing up in the boogie down to where you are now, was that there or was that developed, right? And maybe that's not the right question because it could be there and developed, but like, are you living the vision? Yes. Yes. You hear the the dog barking. Um, I absolutely am. I'm living. I, so, so the vision was always here with me. I was always, I've always known where I was going. I was always the one, always top of class, president, popular, even though I didn't really deal with anyone. I was really, I'm, you know, you see me, I'm, I kind of, I'm a loner, right? Um, I'm in my mind and I like being by myself. Um, and I don't think that's a problem. My mind was built for science. Um, I think I have reinvented myself so many times and achieved so many goals along the way that now I'm at a place where I want to go in a direction I have never even envisioned until recently. Um, And I have achieved my goals. I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. I achieved the vision from getting the job at BP, which, you know... Um, working with the queen, um, every single Beyonce. thing I've ever said. I'm, we can say her yes, name. Yes, Beyonce, right? Um, every single thing that I said I wanted to do, I've done. Everything. Everything. And right now I'm in a really cool place where I said I wanted to be, where I have an opportunity to transform my perspective on what American fashion is. So it's, it's a lot more work. It's a heavier foundation. And it's, you have to make sure that it's, the foundation is strong enough to withhold what this American, this new American dream could possibly be with this vision that I'm over towards now. Um, and I don't know if that answered your question, but I think that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you, you kind of did because... You, I was asking about like, you know, little boy Jerome um, and then, you know, being an adult now. um, And it was really, you know, also a question about like, you know, development versus trying on. Right. That like, are you becoming more of yourself or are you iterating? I am. I am becoming more of myself. Um, Little Jerome was. Little Jerome I want to say this. Little Jerome finally passed away last year. Mm. The, all of that energy of wanting to fit in, wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be loved, wanting to be um, recognized for the, the work I put forth. That person passed away last year in, in June. So, um... And I what love was that the, what was the cause of death? 
The cause of death was a separation of my partner for a very long time. Um, my whole adult life, to be exact, 16 years. And going through s- several situations with my business, um, structured-wise, really woke me up into the person that I am s- slowly becoming today. Mm-hmm. And I like who I'm becoming. I like this person a lot. This person is fun. This person, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. And I don't really care if anyone gets it or not. Because at this point, if you don't get it, then that's on you, you know? So that's how, <laughs> and I never felt like that before. I was very much like, like me. And why don't you invite me places? How come I'm not at this show? The person that Jerome passed, that Jerome, that version of little Jerome, because I think he was little, uh, he passed away last year. So I've buried that person. Um, and this new version is the most powerful, down-to-earth, happy, and comfortable I've ever been. And I love it. You know, let's, let's, go, let's, 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 let's go a little bit through the obituary <laughs> of little Jerome, who, who left left this plane sadly um, around this time <laughs> last year um you know so yes you know grew up in the bronx you know and for listeners you can google jerome lamar to find all of the sorted and juicy details mm-hmm. of his resume and we can like you know skip over a couple of things or skip across them um mm-hmm. you know like starting at baby fat when you were 15 um you know with Kamorley Simmons and you know working with so many incredible you know celebrities designing you know custom outfits um to having your own fashion label you know 531 yes. Jerome which is I think is when we first really met um yes. when you were showing at fashion week but you know 15 starting at a fashion 15. label you know, that's pretty major. Like, how did that, how did that experience, I mean, you're 15, a 15-year-old, you know, cis-presenting, you know, male from the Bronx, queer. So you're, like, becoming a man, right? Like, you're, you're, there's, there's, there's sexual juices flowing, mm-hmm. there's all of these things happening, mm-hmm. and then you encounter this opportunity. Like, what did that open up for you? How did that impact? The whole world was opened up <clears throat> at that point. 15 years old. So I see my, I've always saw myself as kind of asexual at some point. I, I became very gay, <laughs> very homosexual, to be very frank with you. But I think I'm edging back into being asexual again. It's just who I've always been. Um... I, at 15, I was so sure of myself. Mm. You couldn't tell me anything. I knew that there was a knowing. There was a, there was a knowing baby that I could not pass, that I could not pretend. I knew where I was headed. I knew what was going to come to me. I can foresee. My grandmother, I'm going to tell you the story. My grandmother passed away when I was 15 years old. Um, she was what I call, what we call a seer. My grandmother had the gift of sight Um, and she passed away and she was trying. Well, before she passed away, she was trying to explain to me that there's a lot of this about to happen. And she was rubbing my head, 
you know, she always rubbed my head and she would say, she said to me, look for your birthday. That's me sending you a sign from the other side. The thing is, the funny story is, that was when they premiered Jennifer Lopez Waiting for Tonight on TRL. <laughs> so here's my mom, here's my grandmother, rubbing my head and talking about, oh, I'm going to leave you my, my sewing machine. And, um, you know, if you need anything, just let me know. And I want you to always remember to look for your birthday, which is May 31st, 531. And that I love you very much. And I'm over here like, I love you too, Grandma. But I want to see this video, Waiting for Tonight. Waiting for Tonight. And I would never forget it because it was so, such an odd moment. Because I was like, I'm really watching Waiting for Tonight. Like, this is a fat, like, this is dope, fat. In other words, <laughs> this is fat. <laughs> and uh, a few months later, she passed away. And so I didn't read, I really, I had a dream about her the night before she passed. So I knew she was passing. I wore all black because make it fashion so i came home from school and they finally told me that she passed away but i already knew um and that was the beginning of me simply realizing that i had a gift too right so the vision there was dreams after that that started to be very vivid the vision of Lee simmons um who i never saw in my life never saw this woman's face ever okay I knew baby fat because my mom was wearing a t-shirt. She was in her like, you know, late 30s, you know, that energy. And the fact that I kept saying, oh, I think I want to do something with this baby fat brand. I kept calling them. So I kept calling them and calling them and calling them and calling them and calling them. I said, no, I'm supposed to work for you guys. You know, it was like, no, you're a kid. Long story short. I go, I gave up. I go to school. I'm tapped on the shoulder in the hallway by this teacher who's like, you need to come to this program. You are an honor student. You should be in this. It's for internships. I'm like, whatever. It's not baby fast, so I don't care. Ha, something was right. I have my portfolio. I go to this, this program with a panel of, of adults, professionals from the industry. There's an Asian guy and an Asian girl on the floor who didn't have a seat. And a bunch of people of color who was really cool. And what was so crazy about it was I talked so much crap in that interview because I didn't see Kimora and Russell. That's how young and very sure of myself I was. I was so sure that I was going to do something with my life that if I didn't see the people I wanted to see because I want to talk directly to them, I didn't care about everyone else's opinion. The magic, the power, the spirit... Um, after that presentation, I have a portfolio out and this Asian woman comes over to me. She's a girl at the time, I should say. She was very young. Walks over to me, hands over her card and says, you know, uh, she said, who did this? Um, and I was like, me. So sure of myself, sketching. I'm a really strong illustrator. I haven't done it in a minute, but I'm gonna keep going back into it. She hands over her card and she wrote her name on someone else's card. And it said, C. Lee at babyfat.com. And she says, she leans over and says, Komora is looking for someone just like you. I think you should come and work for Baby Fat. That was the beginning of everything. And that's <laughs> when I knew. That is when I, this whole like, um, this confidence of knowing myself first was very important to me. So um, I started working. I, the next week I like went in 
And I got the internship. Like, I got the internship. The people who were picking up the phone call, they, the phone at the front desk, they were like, oh, my God, you're the kid who kept calling. <laughs> you're the kid that kept calling us, aren't you? I was like, yes. And I told y'all I was going to work here. I told y'all. They became my family, and that was how my teenage years began at Baby Fat. Um, and I kept moving up as the company grew. And that was the best part because Kamara had a vision. She apparently had me in her vision and they created a position for me and allowed me to move upward at a very early age before I even graduated. So um, high school. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. It made me who I am. I learned everything. And being from a household that allowed me to have structure like that, right? They believed in me. They knew I was going to do the right thing. They knew I was kind of a nerd. Right? I'm definitely a nerd. Um, but they knew I was going to do the right thing with my time and my abilities. So they allowed me, which is the most important part, the word allow, my mom and my dad allowed me to do this internship, which was every day after school. You know, sometimes I, you know, I kind of had my senior year, I basically had like no classes. I was basically working full time and I went to FIT from that point. Um, went to Brown for a short minute in the summer. That shit was not for me. And then went to back to FIT. And so, you know, since then, you've designed for uh, several celebrities. We've mentioned one, Queen B. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, when that call comes in, right? We want you to design something for the tour. We want you to design something. You know, it's it's a different it's a different um, it's a different charge than like a fashion line, right? Like you're designing yeah. for a personality, but also designing in a way that you know is going to make cultural impact. Like there is no denying that. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that des- different than designing for, you know, the average ordinary everyday citizen? You know, to be frankly, to be frank with this, like, I never got a chance to design for the real human being. I was always living in the fantastical and the magical of dressing celebrities. That's all I knew. So I was all I was so used to creating. I did a lot of beadwork back then by hand, myself, by myself. Um, I, w- I was so used to creating one of one pieces for people that I was not set up to be a true fashion brand. Mm. I was set up to be part of pop culture, which is kind of what's happened, right? I was, uh, every celebrity I had access, Beyonce wore my jacket twice in one day. And that was, that's how it went viral on social media. And I didn't even understand what was going on at that time. That was 2013, 2014. Um, and I went viral on Instagram because she wore it and people figured out who I was. And then, uh, and then she wore it twice to Taylor Swift. She wore it to the Billboards event in the morning, the ladies were brunch. And then she did Taylor Swift's birthday, right? Like right in the same day. And she wore it twice in one day. And that was very magical. That changed my life. And it made me into someone who was kind of, oh, I could just focus on doing this. Because at the time, at the time, they, they weren't checking for black designers. So I would have amazing samples made in the right places, um, made alongside Poenza Schuller, um, Rosie Asseline, um, 
who else were my contemporaries at that time? Like, they were my contemporaries, but I was in the same sample rooms as them, right? I was seeing what was being, Tom Brown, all these designers, and I was like, that's good, I'm in the right place. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be part of the CFDA, <laughs> right? Doing it the American fashion way. That was costly too, you know? So I realized I might as well just focus on doing a bunch of samples all the time and focus on getting all the press. And that's exactly what I did. I just made a bunch of great samples and I kept focusing on the celebrity reach that I had because I was already in the conversation, right? So it was not hard for me to reach out to certain people uh, to get that attention because I knew the other way was not going to work for me. I knew that it was hard for me to get um, investment. I was always self-funded. Self it was hard for me to find uh, a true team at that time. I didn't know the structure. I didn't have the resources um, to do what everyone's doing today, to, do a, to become a real fashion brand. Instead, I had the foresight to use social media. And that's how I kind of made it this far. So with, when it comes to the prices, I never really discovered the difference until this year period. Working with Macy's, understanding, wow, this is, the, this is how much it could cost. I've always known that stuff working with baby fat, right? That's what I've grown up, grown up doing. And that was someone else's dollar. But uh, for my own fashion brand, for 531 Jerome at the time, I did not ever make it to that point. It was always expensively made, like semi-couture things that people either loved or they didn't. Like I was selling jackets, denim beaded jackets with crystals and gems and pearls on it. That was like, dare I say, but they were like 15K. And I was living a great life from that, you know? And I'm sold upward of 18, 19 of those things, you know? So I've never tapped into the, dare I say, quote unquote, the pedestrian level uh, because I never had the opportunity to have that structure or know how to do it the right way. So I just kind of just focused on the top. Yeah, I want to circle back, actually, um, because I know that there are so many people who, you know, love fashion, you know, want to be involved in fashion, you know, want to have a fashion label. Yeah. Um, you know, and you said that, you know, you tried it the American fashion way yes. um, and found out that that didn't work. And so, you know, knowing that there are people listening who are, curious about how one even starts a brand what do you tell them now do i would tell them to do your research um have a point of view but most of all you can't do it alone you need to build a team That's, what is that team you know you need to have a team a person that can help you get to the you know whether it's editing your, your sketches and designs Right, that's your design assistant or assistant designer or whatever you want to call them. You need someone who can do the marketing. You need someone who can do the sales. You need someone who can do, you know, you do amazing creative direction as far as production. You know what I'm saying? That Those elements are things that I did not have. I put everything that I put out, it was just myself and then my siblings who... You know, and then certain people that I would like have hire to like work with me on those on those projects. Um, I wish I slowed down a bit and focused on doing one strong item. Now, if anyone wants to take this away, focus on doing one amazing item. That one amazing item can grow into the item that they come to you for. 
Um, and I think I didn't know that I wanted to do the American fashion way. I was putting out collections and trying to be part of the narrative of the Vogue and the, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, I really wish that I just focused on doing one amazing thing. Like that cult that went viral. If I focused on just doing outerwear, that would have been my thing for a while until I introduced my supporters because I had a great following at that time. I had 10,000 followers. I was so cool back then. Mm. Okay. I was the coolest because I had 10K. Um, but, you know, that was a lot of people back then in Instagram, right? And uh, to have that amount of people uh, that could have purchased, they, so a lot of people, so let me double back for a second. But the thing is, that cult that Beyonce wore that I uh, was trying to present to, um, let's say, I presented it to, to Barney's, I presented it to Jeffrey's, two of which were not around anymore, which is crazy. But they loved me. They were supporting me. They were coming to my shows every season. And I was only around for two seasons. Um, they didn't purchase that coat. And that's how Beyonce got that coat on her shoulders because I gave up. I actually gave up my second season. I was like, I'm not... This is, I'm not cut out for this. I'm putting so much of my money that I'm, I made good money as a trend forecaster. So, but the money that I was getting in was going out because I believed in my dream. The vision was to dress, do luxury streetwear. That was my vision, right? Period. Um, and it, it worked, but it didn't at the same time. So I gave that jacket to Beyonce. She wore it twice in one day. I went viral. I used Instagram and charged everyone 1,200 bucks per jacket and started making money through Instagram 2013-2014 and I went direct to consumer that way but if I was focused and not trying to be part of the New York Fashion Week narrative that cult would have been done in four different colors that's what we're offering this year see what we offer next year maybe it's a jean jacket next year if I would have focused on doing it that way instead of doing Pants, blouses, dresses, this and that, and this and bags and shoes. Duh. I would, um, I probably would have gotten the recognition I was seeking from from everyone at that time faster. This is the first time in my life that I can actually say that people get it. They get, they get my my fantastical, slightly gritty approach to life. Um, now they get it more now than ever. And I, and I can see it from the attention I'm getting from, you know, Vogue, who keeps featuring me for my, like, playful outfits, or the New York Times. And, you know, it's cool to get that recognition, but I'm at the point now where it's kind of like, cool. But I'm already on this. I want to hold it. I don't really, you know. So it's interesting that my mindset shifted so much towards um, the macro towards the human race rather than being celebrity, celebrity, celebrity. I haven't, actually, I haven't gifted any celebrities anything from my very successful Macy's line <laughs> because they can go and buy it if they want it. Um, but instead, I've, I just kind of let the public speak for itself and to see people from all over the world actually wearing the garments that I designed that are where it fits all shapes, all sizes, all races. Um... It's nice to see, you know, to, you know, walk through the hood and see Tom, Dick, and Harry, Juan, and Maria wearing it, <laughs> you know? Like, and not near, not realizing that it's me who made it. They just like the clothes, and then they realize, like, I just think that's the most magical part. And 
Um, I'm very grateful for, for Macy's for allowing me to participate and do whatever I wanted. They gave me full freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. So for the designer, I know this is a long-winded thing, but for the, the dear designers, focus on making that amazing item. Rather than trying to do a full-on collection, we're in the world of drops. Create a narrative around the piece that you really believe in the most, get the feedback from your public and your followers, and then move on from that point and figure out where you want to go next with it. Amazing. You said <laughs> so much. Um, <laughs> I know. That needs to be um, not even unpacked, but like almost like packaged or reinterpreted. So, you know, you know, there's a story of you, you know, coming from baby fat. There's a story of you working with these, you know, celebrities and not, ever really understanding how to like flesh out a full narrative through a line because you were really doing one-offs. Um, and then the ways in which the success of one thing, right. Um, you diffused your light is what happened, right. You scattered your light yeah. and, um, you know, scattered light can only illuminate what is Woo. it's focused light like a laser that can actually cut through. Um, and so that is what And that's exactly it. Wow. You know, that's that... what you're speaking about. And then, um, and so that, you know, there's a lesson there. And I really don't think that there's anything wrong. I don't think anything could ever go, uh, you know, you know. You know what yeah, I've, what I, I, I've really... Against the energy, you know, of the universe. Right. Um, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? No, no, I was going to say, like, what I'm really grateful for is listening to my um, higher self and moving in that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've literally, like, listened and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Going the opposite way and trusting my gut um, along the way. You know, looking back, I wish I did the drop thing. But at the same time, the line made waves people did, i was getting acknowledged i was on style.com's you know um you know what is it next big thing every season i was like okay how many seasons are you gonna do this you know like every season until they stopped doing you know style.com i was in it and i was featured i was in the new york times every season and it was just interesting because i kept saying okay well, i went a very different route than most traditional designers because most at the time designers did not most designers were just focused on the clothes, right? I was more interested in the brand and like the story being told. I love fashion. I am fashion. I can wear absolutely anything four times over, backwards, upside down. I was interested in the big picture, the head to toe look of the girl, rather than um, really trying to sell it. And I wish I, like, I I wish someone was like, okay, well, here, I'm a, you could do that creative crap. We think you're fab, but let's take that and, like, get it to the hands of people who really want it. Because people really wanted stuff. But my hand beading was expensive. And the beads I used from Swarovski. And, I, you know, like, it was so semi-couture. I learned that from Ralph Rucci. Ralph Rucci was my... Um, my mentor for a while after I left Baby Fat. I literally left Baby Fat and went to work for Ralph Rucci the next weekend on a Monday. And for people who do not know Ralph Rucci, Ralph Rucci is um, 
an incredible designer. His line is no longer open, um, right. but was considered like the only couturier in America. So he's, you know, incredible. And it's very interesting that you even bring up Ralph Rucci because in a way you are opposites. Uh, and the way I say <laughs> that is, you know, you actually leaned into social media and Instagram to grow yourself and your brand. And it was actually um, social media that kills Ralph Rucci. He decided, you know, quite intentionally that he did not want to play that game. Yes, um, right. And in the process, um, his brand, you know, faltered. And so, you know, looking back, um, how have you understood social media? How have you leveraged it in order to assist your becoming? I am a Gemini. Like, what's a great about it? I am a communicator. I love the press. I sometimes feel like every time I post, I'm like Marilyn Monroe in the middle of the crowd of, of all those like white guys in photography with cameras. You know what I mean? I feel like every time I use the media in that way, um, what I love most about social media and using the media to my leverage is um, controlling my own narrative and allowing people to also get a little insight into my mindset. I think in the beginning, in the early days of Instagram, um, I used my followers and supporters from MySpace. I spilled them over into um, Facebook from Facebook, because I was part of that conversation. And very when I was in, when Facebook happened, I was at FIT. I heard about it because I was at Brown for a while. So that's when I went to FIT. I was like to Mark, which I didn't know he would respond. To, just thought you guys are not cool. You guys need to have. It's not about Ivy League. It's about the creatives too. You need to put us all on it. A week later, he emails emails me back and says, "Check now, you're in." And then Facebook became with all the other artists and all the other, um, I wish I had that EDU access again because I would have like screenshot it. It would have been really cool to use. But to know like I was that kid who didn't care. I just knew that we were cool. That confidence, you know what I'm saying? That's how I use. So always knowing that I was cool and knowing I had something to say and something that I knew that needed to be uh, represented is what I use social media for. Um, Taken from MySpace, I blew up in my space and spilled it over to, to Instagram when it started to develop. Um, and I've stayed on Instagram. I'm not trying to do TikTok and XYZ because it's not for me. I'm not that, I'm not funny enough. <laughs> um, I am long-winded. If you have not noticed, I like stories to be told. I like things that are curated and put together. Um, and I'm sticking to Instagram until they stop. <laughs> Social media is... Instagram for me is a window into other realms, into what can happen next. And I'm always looking for the new and the next to either support or to put in front of another brand or to simply be um, just to acknowledge that they're doing something new and different. Because that same energy is what I was seeking when I had my fashion brand and I felt like I was overlooked and I felt like I wasn't being heard. Um, and I always want to make sure that the next generation is getting something from, from me or, or the people around me or a brand I have access to, whether it's me connecting, to, connecting brands to like a Grey Goose or, you know, I have access to all those big brands. 
um, from all those years of working with them, I like to make sure the next wave is always going to be the wave, you know, and that's what my vision is. That's what my, my goal is. And um, that's why I use social media the way I do to see, to absorb and to push forward. And to change tack a little bit, like you, you're from the Boogie Down Bronx, which we've mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, but you rep it so hard. You Absolutely. rep it so hard. What, <laughs> like, what's, like, why? Why? Like, why? Right? Why? right? Like, what, what, like everyone... what, what do people need to know about the Bronx? Like, why do you rep it so hard? It's like you, John Gray, Ghetto Gastro, right? Like, yes. like, what, what, why, what? Talk to me. Well, what's so magical about the Bronx is that the Bronx is the reason why New York City became New York City. It's the first borough to connect, to become a city. Otherwise, just be in Manhattan. Um, that's the first thing. Second is so much culture that came out of the Bronx. It's really nice to know. Like, um, first, like Calvin Klein. That's America. That's America. You know? Then you have the legend himself, Ralph Lauren, who is also from the Bronx. You have Mickey Drexler, who is from the Bronx. These people, in my eyes, are the people that I really wanted to get connected to um, when I was going for the CFDA. <laughs> uh, didn't happen. Um, but my vision was to help them tell a new story about American style. Those pioneers, those pioneers are the reason why we have the American conversation. You know what I'm saying? And it's very interesting because you say Ralph Lauren, they go, wow, wow. They don't realize that his name was, you know, (laughs) Lipschitz, you know? (laughs) He changed his name for a more waspier, you know, conversation. But he's from the boogie down Bronx. Hip hop. From the Bronx, salsa, boogie. Um, what else? There's so much. Lauren Bacall, she's from the Bronx. There's like a lot of American things that people don't associate with the Bronx. The Bronx kind of helped make what America is today, in my opinion. And it's just getting started. And it's shifted yeah. into a whole other thing, you know? And you were there during the whole that whole thing. And now it's like Dumbo, you know, that area. And it's... I'm not going to say that Crazy. I did not help cultivate that. Um, you were a part of it, but you I low-key got there before you did, no shade. That's um, what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you know, obviously there's been many challenges, you know, and, and ups and downs as you've started and restarted. Even you having, you know, the shop there on 138th yeah. Street that wow. was there for a yeah. year. Um, you know, and you actually, that's a actually really good, thing right like you you worked with this developer um who has now turned the south bronx into something else and so and you also earlier mentioned that you worked with gray goose i know you've worked with google i know you've worked with many other corporations Mm -hmm. to be a creative uh and to be a creative on the edge of themselves Mm. right you know you are on the edge of yourself you exist on the edges of yourself um how do you negotiate <laughs> that relationship, right? Because you are <laughs> existing on a fringe and yet kind of in conversation, I was going to say in bed with, but we'll keep it peachy, <laughs> in conversation with 
you know, vast amounts of capital and commerce. And specifically, speaking about the Bronx, like, in a way you were used mm-hmm. uh, as a harbinger to add a dose of cool to the formula of gentrification, right? Which is to bring yeah. in the artists, give them cheap rent, Make a if vibe. not for free, then kick them out and yep. build, right? So how do you negotiate that? So um, a lot of it is like very interesting. When I negotiate, I'm very, I go in with the gun smoking. I actually go with the, my blades out, right? I see myself as a samurai. So when they approached me to do that, I challenged them. I was like, first of all, I want control of whatever it is I'm working on. And you need to make sure it's only people of color that you that is being brought in for, you know, it was very interesting because the first wave of that was to focus only on Bronx born and people of color from the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? So um, that first wave of that of that process was only uh, focused on people of color. And that was what my fight was. My, my argument with them was, you're not getting access to me unless it's people of color from the community. Um, you know, it's, you know, we get to do whatever we want to do and you guys shut the fuck up. <laughs> Excuse my language, but it's the truth. And I got it. I don't know why, like, they allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do there. I'm so grateful that I was given that opportunity, but I was very strong-minded in letting them know, like, first of all, y'all using me, I'm going to use y'all. And that was literally what I said to them in in the conversation. Like, okay, you want to use me, so I'm going to use you too. So here's what I want from you. Here's what I need. Here's the people I want to meet. And let's see how this goes. And it, it was supposed to be open only for six months. And it ended up being two years, which is the best part about that. And I didn't want to um, stay in that area too long because I couldn't live the life that I actually was working towards, which is why I closed the store down. But when I am going into these meetings, I've, I've worked with so many brands for so many years as a futurist. I've done so many lectures and seminars with the biggest of the brands, you know, on color and concept. And so when, when the, tur- the tables turned and I became an influencer, quotation marks, it was easy for me to go in and say, hey, what y'all want to do with me? You know what I'm saying? Like literally go in and, and, and say, here's what I can do and you guys know me. Here's what I want to do with you. And here's how I want to do it. And most of the time they all kind of, you know, dare I say, fell in line and allowed me to do what I wanted to do. I'm in a very interesting place because they've, most of the brands have known me since my early days of trend, which is like 2008 and things like that, to now. And they've watched my progression and my moves that I make. And I don't want to work for anyone. Uh, I need total autonomy. Um, Otherwise, I'm kind of an asshole. I have a problem with authority, I think. (laughs) Um, And I like to make sure that everything that I do feels authentic, that it um, represents who I am at that moment, at least, or where I want to go next. And I'm very, very clear that this is, um, you can use me to an extent, 
but y'all have to give. Y'all gonna have to give to people I know. You're gonna have to figure out like foundations that I believe in. Make sure you cut that good $25,000 check. Make sure, you know, and I, that's how I kind of negotiate and leverage when I work with different brands. So sure, you can use my influence, use my following. And I like, and I like that, just making sure my, my followers are tapped in to what's next and what can, they can do with that. But I also make sure that on the flip side, it's aligned with what I want to do. It's, it's um, interesting for both parties and that it's not hurting the environment in a crazy way. Now, when it came to the South Bronx, um, when they first approached me, they really were, they had no clue. They didn't, the way they found me, I was the face of Samsung at that time. They literally opened the magazine, the, the main developer, he opened the magazine and he was like, oh, this guy is from the Bronx. Because I made sure, I was arguing with, not arguing, I was very clear with Samsung that you cannot run my images without putting the Bronx, New York. Not New York, New York. It needs to say the Bronx, New York. Otherwise, my lawyers will be reaching out to you. That, I was so sure. It was a lot of money too. Um, and I made, I did a really good job with that. And that led to getting the opportunity with the developer. So when the developers met me, they didn't really know much about me. They just knew that I was in an ad. They didn't realize, they didn't do their research, which is the funniest part. And I, had, and I let them know like who they were dealing with when I met them on that, on that one day. And I was like, this is how I move. This is what I want to do. I don't need anything else from you. Just give me my space. I got HGTV to do my backyard. Like, I got, you know, like, and that's all me doing it on my own. And I just wanted to have another narrative around the Bronx. I think everyone's so used to the burning of the Bronx. Everyone's so used to the poverty, which was still poverty there. But I was tired of going to Brooklyn <laughs> to, get to, to get the vibe. And I was like, nah, I want to do something here. And everyone's known me forever for being from the Bronx. And it felt like that was my destiny. And the vision, I go back to the word vision. The vision I had for myself as a kid was to be on the cover of the New York Times representing the Bronx. And I got that vision. I was the face of the rebranding of the Bronx in the New York Times cover. So um, I felt like I did the right thing. And um, I'm happy. I'm happy that was a good chapter of, of growth and really opening the, a full-on brick-and-mortar store, um, understanding the, the ins and outs of, like, I have to be the plumber sometimes. I have to... Like, there was times that there was human things coming out of toilets and I had to take care of it myself because there was no one else there to help me. Um, like flowing into the store, like crazy plumbing. Um, there were times that, you know, I would be in the store late by myself and, and um, you know, there'll be some people who shouldn't be coming into the store. You know, I had to stand, I never had a problem, which is the best part because I was blessed and the people from the neighborhood actually understood that I was from the, like, I'm from Soundview in the Bronx. So they realized, oh, you're from the Bronx and you have this. And it was allowing them to see and to dream and do their own thing. A lot of them went on and did their own thing um, from coming to the store. And I just wanted them to see the store to have a different perspective that it's not about just b-boying. It's not just about hip hop. It's not just about graffiti all the time. That there's a whole luxury to it that needs to be discovered 
to change the conversation and the narrative about what the Bronx could possibly be. And that's how we got that. Mm. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, you talked about, you know, you've talked about the Bronx, you've talked about the Americana that's come out of the Bronx. You've spoken about, you know, you're aligned with Macy's and doing these, you know, different fashion lines. And I know, you know, a level of like kind of democratization around garment and cloth is something that you're after. Um, you know, and in a way it makes me think of the fashion designer, Willie Smith, um, the Cooper Mm -hmm. Hewitt had an exhibition on Mm -hmm. Willie Smith, um, the Cooper Hewitt design museum, uh, Smithsonian design museum for those listening, um, in New York city's upper East side. Um, so Willie Smith was a designer, um, from the late seventies into the eighties, a contemporary of Donna Karen, um, and the like, and was a queer black man who had what would be the equivalent of a $59 million business, um, when he passed away from AIDS in 1989. But what he was really after was he was like, you know, I don't make clothes for the queen. I make the clothes for those who wave at her as she passes by. And so, so much of what you speak about, <laughs> you know, really speaks to the spirit, right? The spirit of Willie Smith. There there have been other Jeromes, right? You mm-hmm. know, Willie Smith yep. was very much involved in art, very much involved in fusing the world of yeah. art, you know, and fashion. And so, in a way you really pick up a legacy of Absolutely. Uh, kind of like black queer perspectivity on garment and cloth and uh, citizen and Americana. Um, but there's a couple of things you've mentioned. Uh, you mentioned it a couple of times. It kind of gets back to where we started. Mm-hmm. You said, I used to do trend forecasting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, in the most succinct way, quickly, could you explain <laughs> to us what trend forecasting is? Because where I actually want to get to mm-hmm. is what does it mean to see? Right. Okay. So trend How forecasting. Do, and, and hold on. What does it mean yeah. to see? Mm, and then what does okay. it mean to bring forth? Wow. Into okay. space time. So that wow. is the arc. So being a trend forecaster, um, my job was to basically huh, digest what was happening in culture across various industries and to allow, um, how do I express this? I worked within the 24-month spectrum when it comes to forecasting. Color, concept, cultural, um, social, all these things that's very important within life is how I kind of pull those references back tie them together in a beautiful web and push them back out for clients to understand and digest to make money from. So that's basically what I've done. Who uses with, trend forecasters? Claire's, yeah, so giant brands such as from everyone from L'Oreal to Uniqlo to Nike to you name it, to Tesla, Google, they all use trend forecasters. Um I'm not sure the the industry has shifted so much now that I don't think they use them as much as they used to. But my job was to go into Calvin Klein, to go into PepsiCo and do gigantic presentations, lectures on color, concept, the hottest people, the next wave of music, people they should be tapping into and investing in. 
um, silhouettes they should be referencing as well and allowing them to take what they can from me to bring into their brands to make money from it. Um, and uh, everyone, you could say, literally everyone has worked for Trend Forecaster. Everyone. And that's how most things kind of uh, trickle down into the mass. And so how did so, you know you had this gift of trend forecast? Like, what does one do? Like, are you just like always watching TV and then <laughs> what? Then sitting back and well, thinking about I've it? Always, like, <laughs> I've always known I've had a good eye. I've always had a, the, the ability to understand what was coming next. I've always been that person. But um, after leaving Ralph Rucci, because Ralph Rucci... I was making almost like 100 k my baby fat, and I went to Ralph Rucci, they couldn't pay for me. And so I was an apprentice, which was okay, but I got plucked from there, and I went to Paris to do trends for a company called Promo Steel, I'm not sure if it exists anymore, and also I worked for Paclairs as well. Um, I was the only and the youngest person of color um, who worked for those companies. There was no one like me in the industry, they didn't even know like when I started, they didn't, people didn't even have Twitter pages, which is so nuts. I had to tell them what Twitter was and understand, teach them about Instagram and the term millennial. So that term got thrown around quite a bit. This is from 2008. This is when I, uh, 2009 to be exact, when I like went and started doing full on trend. 2009 is when I started to talk to brands about what the term millennial was and what and like the time brackets and where they belong and how they function. They didn't even know what the term was at the time. And I had to let them know, okay, well, guys, I'm a millennial. Before I turned 21, I was making 100K. Okay, from using my brains and da 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 da. Um, and that's how they kind of understood and digested what that was. Also, the term millennial pink. If you haven't noticed, that's my thing. That was kind of what they kind of aligned. Um, Promo still kind of allowed me to use that that energy of wearing pink all the time and representing pink. And it kind of became a thing within the industry, within the trend conversation. I was always the person who they knew who loved pink. And that I'm not saying it's me, but I do know for a fact that I influenced the term millennial pink. For a fact. So how do you read? Like, you know, like how, like, so people are listening. I'm like, I want to be a mm -hmm. trend forecaster. I want to be able to pick up on what is happening and what is to come. Like, what is that landscape that you so, are? What's that landscape of, of inputs? Um, I have, I've, and then I've, how do you digest a, it? Yes. So a lot of it comes from either reading articles. I don't do this as much anymore. Like I choose what I want to do. Um, but a lot of it comes from reading articles, understanding what's happening in in, in, um, in social media. Um, back then, it was about politics and uh, reading through magazines and and the newspaper. Every day, we had to go through so many different things. Blogs. Blogs were so cool back then. Wow. You had to go through blogs, your daily blogs, and understand what was trending, what was happening. And then you had to lay them out and try to find common threads that's happening across um, these different stories. Now, finding that common thread is the thread, right? You can, once you find that common thread, then you can then take a step back. And then there's always, there used to be a term, every 20 years, everything is, re, is uh, revisited. Isn't, to me, it's more 10 to 5 now, because of social media and technology, we're faster. 
Um, but it used to be the 20-year cycle. So then you take what you've gathered from the present time and then you um, take a step back and you can also reference back in the day, you used to be able to reference what was happening 20 years from that point. And then you can find that commonality that can't even speak right now, that, that common ground where you can find what's, what's going to happen next. And that's how we kind of marry certain things to get to a new conversation that was happening. Like normcore and athleisure. And those are old terms that people will use common now, but that was the things that we were throwing around. Upcycling. We were throwing those terms around in 2009. So, so it's interesting. So... It's a science. So what, does that say, so what does that say about culture, right? So are you all actually shaping culture, you know? Or is culture shaping you and then you give culture back to culture? You know, is it the chicken or the egg? It's a paradox in a way because we are referencing what's happening, right, across things. But then we know, okay, this is... There, there used to be charts that you can play with that will show this trend and this trend and that trend and that trend and, and, and marrying them together and marrying them together and they become like this branched kind of chart and then you get to the macro trend because these things all kind of married together and it made sense. This is the common ground from that, that baby, from that baby and this one macro conversation is what uh, we ended up in, you know? So, um, like, the recession at that time, you know, people, everyone changed their wardrobe because no one had money, right? That's when the whole norm core, um, even that minimalism, Phoebe Philo at the time, that was when all those things were so significant um, uh, because it was a simplified way of looking at life. It was downsized. Um, and that's why I started my brand. I started my brand to be, I'm a maximalist. If you haven't noticed, I love color, I love sparkle, I love shine, I love beading. My line, and also focus on streetwear, my line was the complete opposite of what Phoebe Philo was doing on purpose. It was, um, I wanted to make it so people could buy it, but I didn't have the resources to manufacture it at the time. But it was beading, it was color, it was big hair, it was sparkle. It was a lot of what people were doing now. Um, and that's why when people talk about maximalism, very often they go, oh, yeah, like what you did? Yes, because I'm a maximalist. That's what I've done. Gucci, you're welcome. Versace, you've always been a maximalist, but you guys knocked me off, just so you guys know. There's a whole season that went missing. I'm venting right now. But okay. Versace, <laughs> Versace took a concept for me and everyone. I didn't speak about it because I stopped designing at the time. But there's beating that I did from my hands because I'm doing it from what I want to see in the world. Techniques and everything, and I'll, I'll send you the link so you can see it. Um, but that season was the spring season, and it was um, unfortunate because that was the season that went missing in China when I was trying to do it the American way, manufacture things in overseas, trying to become a real brand. Um, unfortunately, those samples went missing, and I never saw them again. Mm. So... Until they showed up on the runway of Versace. Um, Basically, exactly. So, so, you know, to get to the last part of that question. Yes. So much of your life has been about creating. Absolutely. And not only creating garments, but also creating yourself. Yes. Um, and not only creating yourself, but creating the experiences that those self, that that self has. 
So talk to me a bit about talk to me about magic. Talk to magic me is, about magic is real, baby. Talk to me about what it means to co-create your reality. Wow. Um, I said earlier that my grandmother is what we call the seer. Grandma could see things in her dreams. Um, I can as well. Um, magic is real. God is real. And I live through those elements like it's nobody's business. That There's a knowing that I feel when I'm praying. There's a knowing that when I'm asking for something, I can feel uh, a tingling sensation, a tingling like from my brain down my spine. I can feel when um, I'm talking to God. I can feel it. And I use that energy in getting what I need and getting what I want because I know what I'm doing is not necessarily for me. It's for the bigger, it's for mankind, mankind. So um, when I'm, when I'm co-creating and, and making things come to life, I use all of my senses in ways that people kind of don't. Um, mm, not I don't, can maybe, maybe don't recognize. Maybe have it, no, don't recognize. Don't recognize, it's that, thank you. They don't recognize. Um, I can hold on to a visual mm -hmm. that is accumulated from memory, whether and, it's, and I can manifest something new from memories of the past and things I may have seen to create another visual that I hold onto my mind, that I can feel, smell, taste, hear. And from that moment, I can see it. And it becomes something very real for me. And very often, every single thing that I have done has come from those moments of, dare I say, false memories, if you will, because they don't exist. You can say visualization. Visualization that I conjure up from within myself from all those things that I've accumulated from my memory bank. We know how, you know, there's a vision that I have that I still hold on to that is me standing on a, front of a, on a stage and wearing yellow and I can feel the electricity behind me from a screen or something. I have a taste of Coca-Cola on my tongue and I felt the pace of my heart. It was fast and then it started to go slow. The light was beaming, a warm yellowish light was hitting my skin. And the smell of the air smelled like an auditorium, like, um, it smelled like something, but I could smell myself as well. And I was sweating. That's, the, it, there's something, and I keep, and it's a memory that stays with me forever that I hold on to because I don't know what that is, but it's gonna happen at some point and it's, it's gonna happen, you know what I'm saying? So, and that is something that I feel most people should tap into. And I keep trying to push, like not push it, but explain to people, take a minute and like really get centered in your magic. 
what is it that you really want, you can manifest it if you really use your senses to get there. Like, take a minute. Tur- like, put your phone down and, and hold on to the vision that you really believe in. But don't just hold on to it in a visual way. Add in all these elements from your memory to make it into something that is real. Did you drink something? Was it a cloudy day? What time was it when this memory happened? Right? What were you wearing? Who was in that, that room? Um, were you listening to music before you had this memory? You can get so detailed with it and play with your brain. And I have to say, that knowing that I always say I have comes from me doing it so often. It's an exercise. Mm. So you it's have to do it. You have to, it's a muscle. And so I use that and I do that all the time. Like people, you know, I'm, I'm, I sometimes walk down the street. We, I ran into the other day, right? Walking down the street, wig and everything. But I was in my mind and I was absorbing and, and holding in and, and, and taking things in and, and seeing all around me. So I can, you know, fill it in the blanks later on for what I want to make. We have a memory bank. We should use it. Mm. And that, to me, is the magic side of it. Yeah, it's the power of imagination and also the power of of presence, right? Mm. The power of presence. And then also the power of access, right? Because if you don't see it if you have not been able to witness it, exactly. then how can you then, you know, leverage it? And so then that, you know, then that begets conversations around, you know, geographic, you know, poverty and racism and design, exactly. right? That these places yep. are not designed for you to dream um, mm-hmm. in. Um, and so what, what does one conjure from that? Um, and then I think also speaks to the process of, um, you know, you 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 say I I can hear God or I feel God, but on a mm-hmm. another another set of vocabulary terms one can use is you know alignment, Ooh. right? You feel that that is you what have I say aligned to you know a specific vibration, right? Everything is vibration. Taste is vibration. Everything. Sound is vibration. Everything Light is, is vibration. vibration. Yes, color. And so, everything. And so mm-hmm. even with that memory you know, what you're talking about is creative visualization. And so what feels like a memory is you actually remembering from the future, but it is actually you impressing into, uh, you know, divine intelligence, which then brings about, right? Like gathers the matter um, in order to make something happen. But also, you know, the kind of level of detail that you speak about is about, um, you know, we only desire a thing because we think we will feel better in the having of it. Period. Right? And yes. so what does it mean to use your creative imagination to take yourself to the place, right, of the feeling? Yes. Right? You want the boy, you want the ice cream cone, you want the cigarette, you want, you know, the house, you want the career, you want the scholarship, you want the fellowship, uh, because you think in the acquiring of it, you will feel better, right? Right. And so what does it mean to use your creative imagination to take yourself to a place where you actually feel it already? 
Period. Right? And that's you know, exactly what you it. feel, what it means to be in the Ferrari driving 120 miles, you know, down the highway. Exactly. And what's amazing is you realize that if you can imagine and take yourself to the feeling, then you actually never needed the thing because it was the feeling you were after anyway. And once you Mm -hmm. align yourself to that, that's actually when the thing actually comes because you didn't need it. And that's exactly what you said earlier about your desire to be a part of the American fashion system. And you used this kind of viral moment to launch into this whole other thing, you know, kind of pursuing ego and wanting this kind of level of recognition. Yeah. And through that entire process, it wasn't until you didn't give a fuck about it that actually the New York Times and then Vogue was like, oh, oh my God, look, he's amazing. <laughs> oh, um, you know, and also like a matter of like, what does it mean to stick to yourself over time? Because culture yeah. also caught up, right? There's a level of, yeah. g- there's a conversation around gender fluidity that we have, right? Mm-hmm, there's a, mm-hmm. you know, you're wearing nail polish now, honey, and working mm-hmm. in hip hop, you may not have been able to get away with that, you know, in 2002. Exactly. So, I this think is that, so true. That kind of sums sums that part up. But you know, as we as we you know round the bend, um, you know, outside of like you know your Macy's line, which has been so you know incredible, um, you know, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Yeah, well, you know, I am the queen of Instagram. <laughs> Instagram is probably the best bet. Um, Jerome Lamar, L-A-M-A-A-R on Instagram. That's probably the best way to to actually find me. Um, I'm a Google away. I always tell people, just Google, you'll see everything. You'll see everything. But the best way to interact with me, because I really do interact with everyone that I meet through Instagram, um, is Instagram. Like, send me a DM, say a hello, leave a comment, and I will respond back. Because I'm up at 4 a.m., and I have a nice long day to be productive. So mm. um, something yeah. just popped. Something just popped up really quickly before we before I ask my last question. There's uh-huh. also a certain level of optimism, right? You've you were called the golden boy. Uh, you have a certain level of optimism and and light, and also being down to earth. But I also know that that comes from a real direct conversation with your shadow. Mm. Yeah. A real direct conversation with, 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 uh, like the darkness as well. Right. Um, and, 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 and knowing that, that, that it is the darkness that powers the light, right? Like it is actually like the engine. Um, what, how, how do you transmute that? Like, where, where, what's, 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 what's the other side of Jerome Lamar? What's the other side of the golden? Wow, boy? the other side is a person who is. Um, sometimes I could be self sabotaging, like everyone else. Sometimes I can feel left out, like everyone else. Um, and I am a loner. I just so happen to like to be by myself. Because I used to feel like people didn't like me, period. I just feel like they just didn't, they didn't like me. So, Even though you're the most popular. It, yeah, yeah. And I just always felt like I'm not, I wasn't good enough or I wasn't fab enough. Um, I slur my words, so I feel like I wasn't smart enough, even though I have a really amazing IQ, you know? So it's like, um, 
those things are really dark sometimes, you know? And that is why I do the work to make sure that I um, mentally want to be where I want to be first half the time, and then I show up. Like Ken knows, when I when we have to go places, I am first mentally like, ugh, but then I'm like, okay, no, because this is my stage. And then I realize, and I that I've you know realized that people <laughs> sometimes hell is other people for me, and so when I have to go into certain rooms, or certain places, I put up my shield of glamour. And that's when the glamorous life comes on and I become <laughs> the happy, fabulous Jerome when I'm not in the mood. Most of the time, I'm okay. Like, most of the time, I'm good. Like, I'm a happy person, period. But there are times where I really just don't want to be there. You know? But, and I'd just rather be home in bed. But this is part of my business. I am a business. I'm a physical, walking, talking business. People buy into me. Not necessarily, like, uh, they just got into the clothes. The clothes is new. The clothes are new ventures for me, right? But everyone has always bought into Jerome Lamar. And baby, when it's time to show up, I'm there to show up. I want you to smell me. I want you to see me and get the vibe because that's what I am. I'm a vibe. And I don't want anyone to think that at this point in my life, in my career, that anyone's opinions have any say over what it is that I do anymore. They don't. I've, like, done what I've wanted to do my whole life. And this next chapter is going to take me to a whole nother spectrum that I've never even saw for myself. Um, and I'm happy with who I am today. Hmm. Hmm. that's deep I've never spoken about that but that's the truth like I smile a lot but I am like everyone else you know I'm a hard worker I'm up at 4am emails are sent at 5 sometimes 6 to make people not hate my guts but you know the opposite of all the um, happiness and sparkle is like I am an amazing businessman I'm a bulldog I work I am a I achieve my goals, I focus on that. So those do that duality is kind of the other side of it. I, I am in my head sometimes, but that in my head goes into the work ethic. The work ethic keeps me going. The going makes me fabulous. The fabulous makes me productive. The productiveness makes me money. <laughs> and that's that. Spoken like a true motherfucker from the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> <Period>. <laughs> Well, Jerome, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, we obviously have so many more conversations ahead of us, which I look forward to. Um, yes. Before I ask my last question, um, I would just love to thank you and acknowledge you for, you know, powering through, um, you know, from, you know, an early age, you know, as a golden child, which you know, can sound like privilege, 
until you realize you've been conditioned to seek affirmation from people. Yes. (laughs) You know, um, as an adult. um, And yet, you know, you push through, you know, to have the courage working at, you know, baby fat, you know, shifting culture, kind of unnamed and in a way could have gone the route of so many of our incredible black queer creatives in the fashion industry, which is unknown mm-hmm. um, and unacknowledged. Um, and yet, and still you steered your ship through kind of like the status quo to actually mm-hmm. arrive at yourself um, and then kill yourself and then be reborn. So we're period. Uh, so <laughs> I'm one years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, thank you so much for that work. And I know, I know that there are, you know, boys and girls in Ohio and in Texas who are going to need a style monk um, to see themselves in, right? And to see Mm. them through. So, you know, keep that magic light. Um, I don't even need to say that. You already are. (laughs) Um, But thank you. So my last question um, is, you know, with everything at your behest, what is the world that you imagine for the future? Wow. Um, I see the world. See, I can go very tech, but I'm going to go very elevated in a sense where I see the world kind of, this is very utopian. I see the world shifting into the way it should have been, um, the people of color will no longer be labeled as the minority, right? We are already the majority, but they just fail to acknowledge that part. That's neither here nor there. Um, I see fashion really breaking down barriers when it comes to sustainability and um, being really dynamic when it comes to gender because there's so many spectrums within that. Um, I see... (laughs) This is so dramatic. I see 531 going to Mars and being that kind of brand that represents humanity in a different way. Um, That's just wishful thinking. But most of all, I see people of color gaining the respect that they really, really deserve because we've always been the peacekeepers and we've always been the creators and we've always been here. And I think it's time for them to stop writing us out because the future is not a bunch of robots and white men. The future has flavor too. And that's what this is all about. Well, thank you for adding a little flavor to the present as well. Um, Jerome, have a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I love this episode because it shows that we do indeed have the power to create the lives we want to live. 
what is the vision you have for your life? Let us know your thoughts over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. We love comments and we follow back. There is no ego in the Institute. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this episode and check out this conversation and others at blackimagination.com and our new YouTube channel, The Institute of Black Imagination. No matter the place you find yourself in, the world you desire begins in your mind. Stay curious and keep dreaming.